Wait, what? We'll, we'll get to it. Oh no. <laughs> this is actually probably the best film in the franchise. There's only two films, everybody. <laughs> oh no. I'm so happy. <laughs> Welcome to Flip the Scripts. I am one of your hosts, Ankit Madeira. I am joined, as always, by my lovely friend and co-host, Stephen Nyman. Uh, now, Ankit and I are a big fan of books and films, so that's why we've started this lovely podcast called Flip the Scripts. And we're here today to compare the book or any original source to the film. And today, we are doing... We're doing the Percy Jackson series. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so... Percy Jackson, the whole series, uh, is one of my favorite book series ever. Um, if anyone asks me, they are probably right up there at the top. I can't name a series that I, I love more than Percy Jackson. So <coughs> Harry Potter. <laughs> we'll get to that eventually, Stephen. Eventually. Eventually. But... So but we you, were like, you just okay. don't want me to rant too much the first episode. Well, don't rant about <laughs> Harry Potter on the first episode. Dude, we're two minutes into this. Like, we haven't even gotten anywhere and we're already talking about Harry Potter. Like, slow down. Um, <laughs> anyway, we're talking about Percy Jackson because we were like, okay, we know that the TV show is coming out now. Also, Happy New Year to everyone as we are in the new year yeah. as this is coming out. So, Happy New Year. I hope everyone is keeping to those New Year's resolutions or you've already given up and uh, you know what? We support you as well. I believe it's January 6th. So if they've given up, I'm really sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you know what, guys? Like, if you've given up, uh, you, you didn't last a week. And uh, we're sorry. But thank you for listening to this episode if you're listening to it when it comes out. like, Hey, we're the perfect gym fuel. You know, you go to the gym, put our podcast on the tripod, and run. Or laugh. And both. So Just don't fall. Yeah. But if you fall, send us a video. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, for legal reasons, um, we are not responsible if you do fall on a treadmill while listening to this podcast. That is exactly correct. Uh, this is on our main Co-op Forge channel. So Anka and I have started this lovely YouTube channel called Co-op Forge, which is probably where you're listening or at least where other podcasts are held. Uh, Co-op Forge was started by Anka and I because we're involved in three to four different podcasts. And we, all th we want them all on the same channel. So hence, Co-op Forge. That's how it got built. So anyway, as we were saying all of the housekeeping stuff aside, we are talking about Percy Jackson. I have never seen the film before. <laughs> we did this. Now, I think I may have seen like clips of it and pieces of it because my sister and I were talking. She was like, how have you not seen the film? I've seen the first film. And I was like, I don't know. Maybe it was so bad that I just completely forgot about it. And it's to the point where I don't think I've seen the film before we watched this, but it might have just been that I watched the film but had such a traumatic experience watching the film that I forgot about watching the film. I was talking to somebody the other day and I just kind of riffing off that really quick and this person was like, oh yeah, I watched the film before I read the book and I thought it was an amazing film, but then everyone told me to read the book. <laughs> and I think this is where our podcast is a lovely start. So on that note, we have some facts. Before we get into what's going on, we have some facts about both the book and the film. So we'll start with the book, as that's the original source. So the book was originally published on July 1st, 2005. 
and the author is Rick Riordan. So I was in elementary school when that came out. I was also in elementary school when that came out. I was eight, so whatever eight is. Third grade. Short. Yeah, because like six is, or like fourth grade. We were in elementary school. So he made up stories for his son, Haley, who was diagnosed with ADHD and dyslexia. And his son was studying Greek mythology at the time and asked his dad to create bedtime stories for him. So his dad would tell him stories based on Greek mythology. Eventually, apparently, he ran out of stories and he started making up his own and that's kind of where Percy Jackson was born and how it came to be. Rick was a middle school teacher as well uh, when the series first started coming out so he didn't only send the book to the editors but he also sent the book to middle schoolers to get their opinion on it because he was writing Percy as a middle school kid. And I think that's really fascinating because you know obviously as a Going into middle school in my next, like, I think my next year, I would have been a middle school student after it came out. I was 10 when it first came out. So you enter middle school about 12, 11, 12. Yeah. Uh, so I think it was quite a fascinating time for a young reader to get into a book that, like, you connect with on an age level. Because, um, you know, obviously Harry Potter came out 11 years old. And I think that it's such a good age for a fantasy novel to get people into um, compared to, like, Lord of the Rings, which which we'll get to eventually as well. But Lord of the Rings has, you know, adults in it. And I think even The Hobbit is hard to connect to on a first-time reading. Yeah, and also with it being a fantasy world, like you said, I think they knew their audience for Percy Jackson. And they knew who their audience was for uh, Harry Potter as well. And both authors knew that their audience was YA. Side note, I love The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings trilogy. Oh, they're fantastic. So don't hate me that I just said some people can't connect to them. But I can imagine, you know, sometimes age is that lovely connector that helps people get in. Yeah, like, I'll say this honestly. If I read The Hobbit or even Lord of the Rings for the first time when I was 10 to 13, I probably wouldn't have gotten it as much. I only watched the films. And then I think, I think I read the books when I was in high school, but I was able to connect with it. I was able to understand the language more because there's just a language barrier between those types of books and these types of books. And that's completely fine. And as you grow older, you understand more. So I think the fact that Rick gave it to his middle school students shows in the writing because it, it just eloquently shows that he cared about his audience. Yeah. But it was just a fun fact that I found. Now we get to the film. Yeah. Wee! As you can tell, ladies and gentlemen, we're thrilled about this film. Oh, boy. It's not the worst in this franchise, to be fair. Wait, I... what? We'll, we'll get to it. Oh, no. <laughs> this is actually probably the best <laughs> film in the franchise. There's only two films, everybody. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I'm so happy. <laughs> I haven't seen the second film for context yet. Um, we are recording that on Saturday. Yeah. Um, <laughs> to, to, uh, to context everybody, it's Wednesday in the middle of December. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Um, yay. Ooh, um, okay. <laughs> anyway, um, let's talk about this one before I'm sad and depressed about that one. Yeah. So, the film came out in 2010. Yeah. And it was directed by Christ- Chris Columbus, not Christopher, Chris Columbus. 
I mean, I think he does. I think go he by does go by Christopher, but everyone knows him as Chris Columbus. Yeah, well, I mean, Who? Home Alone, uh, Home Alone Two, Lost in New York, Harry Potter One and Two, Percy Jackson One. I mean, that's his filmography. I'm sure there's more. There's but, significantly more, but, but I mean, my favorite movie is Home Alone One and Two. You know, look, they are fantastic films. I mean, but it is weird to see Chris Columbus. Well, I mean, it makes sense on paper. We'll talk more. We'll about talk it. more about it. The writer was Craig Titley. And uh, boo. <laughs> Craig Titley, for everyone's edification, is responsible for the live-action Scooby-Doo. And hey, like, those were fantastic films. Won the first one, and then which, I enjoyed the second. Okay, but l- l- Craig Titley. Let's <laughs> talk about Craig Titley here. <laughs> Scooby-Doo's not well. Maybe Scooby-Doo can be classified as an adaptation. We'll talk later. As <laughs> <laughs> cartoon to live-action, maybe Craig Titley is like. One of those people that I'm like, I just don't like his writing. I think he just doesn't have – he handles children's content well. And I think that's where he fits. But he don't he, – okay, keep going. We'll, we'll, we'll keep going. We'll keep going before you put your foot in your mouth more. <laughs> no, I'm not putting my foot in mouth. I'm just saying I don't like Craig Diddley. That's fair. That's, that's just a stance. Um, anyway, so the budget for this film was $95 million. It did well in the box office. It grossed $226.4 million. So, like, money-wise, cool. Again, this is where the studios, like, were really, like, they wanted the next Lord of the Rings. They wanted the next Harry Potter. They saw all the money Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings racked in. Yeah. And they were like, ooh, give me, give me, give me some of that money. Oh, 100%. I believe this was produced by Fox as well. I think it was. Which is hilarious because now Disney owns the rights, which is why Disney Plus is... Having Disney Plus. Oh, we'll be fine. There are sirens. We live on a busy street. Steven, if we pause for every siren, we are never getting this podcast done. Great. I just didn't know if we had to. Oh, uh, beautiful. No, no, no. We used to have to, but not anymore. Great. I just didn't know if we had to. So we just got better mics. Yay! Cool. So yeah, Disney, it's going to be on Disney Plus because now Disney obviously bought in the Fox merger. Uh, but still, I think it's hilarious that Fox was like another property for them to, to have because yeah. eventually they ended up with Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Which we'll get to eventually. So, IMDb, it has a rating of 5.9 out of 10. I feel like 5.9 is too high. We'll get to that. <laughs> Rotten Tomatoes had a critic score of 48%. Yeah. I feel like that's fairly accurate. Generous. Um, that is generous. An audience score of 53%, which is extremely generous in my opinion, but we'll get to that. <laughs> um, so, uh, Percy Jackson and the Lightning Thief, what is that about? So, Percy Jackson, about a 12-year-old boy who happens to be the son of Poseidon. Um, he discovers that in the book, um, and he's been kicked out of every middle school, well, every school he's attended since he was little. Uh, he's ca- And he deals with the adversity of being um, having ADHD and dyslexia. Um, which is Rick's son has. So Rick based Percy off of him, which I think is really cool. It gives people it gives people who might suffer from any learning disabilities a hero they can root for uh, who's like them. Uh, and so Percy um, ends up getting accused for stealing Zeus's lightning bolt. Um, and he ends up going to a place called Camp Half-Blood. Um, and meets his two best friends in the world, uh, Grover and Annabeth, and they go on an adventure to save the world. And that's a very small summary of the Percy Jackson Lightning Thief. If you want a better version, read the book. Even watch the movie. Uh, I would say read the book. If you want a better version, read the book. If you want a version, watch the movie. Cool. So I think uh, <laughs> you have an understanding of what the 
the plot's about. Uh, we'll get you'll kind of get more ideas of the plot as we go through. I don't want to give it all away. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk about the Percy film. Jackson and the lightning thing. Yeah. So we open and Percy's just sitting in a pool and he's just there and he's just vibing. No, actually, that's a line. That's the second scene. We open Wait. in Coney Island. Wait, correction. I believe. This is really funny. I believe the book is called Percy Jackson and the Lightning Thief, right? Yeah. The movie is called Percy Jackson, the Lightning Thief. Oh. Just another thing they might have gotten wrong. I mean, the book, we have it right here, is Percy Jackson and the Lightning Thief. Yeah. So it in the book, it already gives that idea that Percy's not the Lightning Thief. Also, you bought this book in the UK, right? Yeah. Can I just... uh. There are two things that I love about the UK covers on these books. And it's these two taglines that they have. The first one says, half boy, half God, all hero. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And the second one is just epic heroes, legendary adventures. I feel like that's a tagline <laughs> from the musical. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The second one I don't mind as much. I like it. But the first one's just like, what? If I was doing the if, – listen, if I was directing the Percy Jackson musical and I had a meeting with my PR person, I'd be like, this. This right here is what the posters need to say. <laughs> half God, half boy, all hero. Let's go. Okay. First scene. We're in Coney Island. We're in Coney Island and we see this fisherman. He's minding his own business trying to catch a fish off of Coney Island Pier, which I don't know much about it, but I feel like that's not necessarily the best place to fish. But anyway. I've never been to New York, so I can't answer that. Fair. I've been to Coney Island once and it was raining, so I didn't really spend a lot of time there. Oh, fair. Yeah. So, uh... But Poseidon comes out. He is like a hundred feet tall we see him uh see the fisherman just kind of gives him a look the fisherman's just like yep same shit as always like this is a normal tuesday so yeah i mean already a gripe right (laughs) like i don't mean to gripe it already but already a gripe first of all this guy's immortal poseidon should not be seen by mortals there's this thing in percy jackson called the mist the mist obscures the versions of mortals, so they see things that are not necessarily there. Um, so that way it hides the existence of the god's work or anything that has godly intention from the Greek mythology point of view. Um, uh, yeah, um, this, we're just going to say this now. The mist doesn't exist in this universe. Uh-uh. So that's just like a whole gripe, but we'll just say it once so that just, we don't repeat ourselves every two seconds. Just specifically in this movie, mind you, like I think like this is another issue that I have is that's part of the world Rick has set up is the mist. Yeah. And I think it's a very integral part. Uh, so, yeah, Fisherman now knows gods exist. Great. Great. So he knows that gods exist. Um, doesn't care. Um, he's still not catching any fish. Yeah, doesn't go tell the police. And then we have a hilarity, you know, hilarious runabout with the. I want a movie based on this fisherman, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that's just, just about hey, him. that's the spinoff that we write. Okay, cool. So yeah, he'll yeah. Go, hey, he'll Rick, go to hit his us wife, up. He'll go to his wife, and he'll be like, "I saw Poseidon today," and his wife is gonna be like, "What?" And then that's the film. Great, lovely. Uh, we have our next idea for a project. Um, so. Hit us up, Netflix. <laughs> we got it. <laughs> we got the next big thing. Um, so then Poseidon proceeds to walk to the Empire State Building from Coney Island in a matter of like two seconds. Um, which, 
Which, like, well, like, added to movie magic, we don't need to see him walk. But, like, also, you're a god. Just show up to the Empire State Building. I think someone's done the math of, like, how long it would take you literally to walk from Coney Island yep. to the Empire State Building at the pace he was going. And um, it would take hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I don't – I think you would need to get on a train. We had to take a train for, like, I think it was, like, an hour, maybe even an hour and a half to get to Coney Island. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. It's not Coney Island's next the, door. Because Coney Island is at the end of the line. I think so. Look, it's been a very long time since I've gone. But F- Fair. Yeah. It's just, it's just one of those things that, to me, it's like, why? Okay. It doesn't make sense. Anyway. Poseidon and Zeus are having a conversation on the 86th floor of the Empire State Building. Uh, Zeus, by the way, is played by our wonderful actor, um, Sean Bean. Sean Bean. And he's not dying, so something feels wrong. Strike one of any movie when Sean Bean's in a film and he doesn't die. <laughs> Look, he's really good at the death scenes. That's all I gotta say. I mean, he he's, doesn't... When he dies, I'm convinced he's dead. But he doesn't die in National Treasure, and I actually quite like that film. Oh, I really like National Treasure, but he does get arrested, so I'll count it. So if he doesn't get arrested or dies, it's a bad film. Yeah, yeah, Okay, I, I, I'm down with that. If there's no reprimanding of whatever Sean Bean has done. Cool. Yeah, so if he doesn't die as Boromir or like anything like that, he's just like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, if he just exists. I think he was in Interstellar, but like he oh. did kind of die. Because everyone, like, had to, like, leave Earth or whatever. I don't know. It's been a while since I've seen that film. Anyway, so Zeus and Poseidon are having this conversation. You doing okay there, buddy? Yeah, just fixing my mic. Okay, sure. (laughs) So Poseidon and Zeus are having a conversation on the top of the Empire State Building. And Zeus is pretty much like, I know he stole it. Get your son to give me back the lightning bolt. And Poseidon's like, he didn't steal anything. That's pretty much the gist of the conversation. So... My first gripe with this scene is not even the fact they have this conversation. Yes, this is a gripe that I have. By the way, this scene doesn't exist in the book. My first gripe is the first line spoken in the movie. Which is? We haven't... Hi, brother. We haven't spoken for years or something like that. It's been like centuries or something. It's something along those lines. And um, in Greek mythology, they meet on the summer solstice and the winter solstice every year. They have a council. And Poseidon sits right next to Zeus <laughs> in the throne room. And isn't it funny that, like, literally in the Percy Jackson book and the many subsequent books, and they still have those meetings? Right? It's almost like Zeus and Poseidon see each other at least twice a year. At minimum. <laughs> Oh, okay. <laughs> so we're just going to ignore that fact. Got it, Craig Titley. Great. Uh, thanks, Craig Titley. Um, so, uh, okay. So my other gripe with this scene is the fact that you've now ruined the reveal. Yeah. You've basically told us. The, the audience. Wa- the audience. Oh, Percy Jackson, the guy we're going to watch, is the son of Poseidon. Which, where's the fun in that? Like, what makes it fun in the book is you just know that he's different, but you don't know anything. You don't know that this world exists. You don't know, you know, who Percy is, who his dad is. Nothing. You know absolutely nothing the same way Percy knows absolutely nothing. 
And I think it's actually, I mean, I'll, comparing it to another franchise really quick. And I know because of Harry Potter will become a big t-shirt eventually. Oh, that's just, yeah, I'm already <laughs> thinking branding. Um, because of Harry Potter. But, but. <laughs> You know, and because Christopher Columbus did start both franchises in the film department, at least. Um, you know, even though you have Dumbledore show up at the beginning of the film, he drops off Harry Potter, you watch Harry discover the Wizarding World. That's really interesting. But you're put on the back end because you kind of, you, you don't know much about the Wizarding World at all. Compared to people who have literally grown up with Greek mythology, as soon as you put Zeus and Poseidon on screen, we know who they are, at least from a mythological mythological perspective look to the point where if and it's so famous right like greek mythology is so famous you don't necessarily need to know all the ins and outs like there are so many stories and it's so intertwined and it's so complex but even if you just go to someone and you're like hey have you heard the name zeus they're probably like yes it has something to do with greek but i don't know anything more than that They've heard the name. Or they say they watched Disney's Hercules. Uh, fantastic film. Oh, love it. Great um, film. Just because the, the music is the killer of the, uh, that film. But also, like, that performance from Hades, like, mwah. Oh, yeah. Hades is impeccable in that film. Yeah. This one, we'll get to it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I think that's one of my issues is, like, you've ruined the magic. So, so the, the film's first scene already ruins the magic of the movie. And then we cut to... A swimming pool, like you were saying. And then we cut to a swimming pool. So, Percy's just chilling in a swimming pool. I didn't hate the way that they brought in the credits, where we see the water, and the water, and, like, you know, you see some bubbles, and, like, you yeah. have the credits kind of rolling and that. I didn't hate that. It was quite beautiful. The music behind it was also quite nice. It was, you know, nothing too intense. It was a nice beginning kind of credit scene. So yeah, we already know now that well, at least from the from the now we know from the first chapter. chapter. Ah, he's he's Poseidon's son. Yeah, so we already know he's in a swimming pool. He's cool. in a swimming pool. He's sitting there, and then it's just like he comes out of the swimming pool, and Grover's there as well. Also, something that we're gonna discuss now before we get to the rest in the book, he's twelve. Yeah, in the movies, he's like at least sixteen. So, Logan Lerman, Brendan T. Jackson, I think his name yeah, is. Yeah, and, and Alexandra Daddario. Daddario play uh, our main trio. Was I right, yep, Brendan T. Jackson? you were right on Brendan T. Jackson. Oh, amazing. Yeah. I get five points. Wait, we're keeping track now? I mean, you're at negative two. It's okay. What the hell? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, um, so, but they play our main trio, Annabeth, Grover, and Percy, which I love. I love. I mean, I'm I'm a Harry Potter fan. Love a trio. Ron, Harry, Hermione. I love Great a trio. Lord of the Rings. Boromir. Oh, not Boromir. Sorry, Aragon, Legolas, Gimli. There's our trio. Yeah, yeah. Boromir does that thing called die. Um. <laughs> yeah, dies in the first book. Oh, by the way, spoiler alert if you haven't uh, read them, but they've also been around for a very long time, so I don't feel bad anymore. Fair. <laughs> um, so uh, we have our trio uh, who are played by sixteen. Who are sixteen-year-olds in the, in the movie, uh, and like they're twenty-year-olds in real life. Like Which they is are fine. Yeah, but also they're playing twelve-year-olds, and th this is where I get my. Uh, now, this wasn't Craig Titley's decision. 
This was a Chris Columbus decision. So Chris Columbus had just got done directing the Harry Potter franchise not too long ago. He only did the first two, and then he stepped away to raise his children, which I completely respect. And Alfonso Cuaron came in for the third movie. Which is one of my favorite movies in the whole series. Kind of hit that out of the park. Great. Anyway, back to Percy Uh, Jackson. But back to Percy Jackson. Chris Columbus said, I don't want to work with children anymore. And the studio was like but we want to do this film. And he was like, yeah, but no children. And so they raised their ages to 16. Which doesn't work because there's a whole prophecy for Percy where they're thinking that he might be the kid for this new great prophecy that's happening. And the thing there is that the prophecy is to come true on the special kid's 16th birthday. I won't say anything more than yeah. that because I don't want to like give it away if you want to read the series. It's also not even mentioned really in the first book. Yeah. It's like hinted, but it's, it's not hinted, mentioned. It's hinted, but not. But like that's why it's important that he's 12. And because, you know, it as the books progress, you learn more and more and you come to know that it's going to come true on a 16th birthday. We don't know who that special kid is. Obviously, we know that it's Percy Jackson. His name's in the title. But, like, you're not supposed to know that Percy, like, is that special person. Everyone thinks that he is, but no one's 100% sure kind of deal. Yeah, my other issue is the fact that, like, you know, you raise the ages and you, you also dilute the character. You do. Because you're taking 16-year-old people and giving them 12-year-old motivation and i think because the story is told with 12 year old motivation i'm 28 if you cast me as a as a 12 year old first of all i would never cast you as a 12 year old i've played a 12 year old on stage but it's part of the gig it's part of the gag of the show 25th annual Putnam county spelling bee adults play children in that it's fine but it's supposed to be like that but when you're taking it seriously and you take a, a person older and you try to give them that 12 year old motivation i think it falls flat um, so I think Rick, and, and henceforth Craig Titley, shot themselves in the foot by doing this casting. They were great. It wasn't act- Rick. Not Rick. Sorry. Do not put this movie on Rick. Sorry, not Rick. Uh, Chris. There we go. Columbus. Uh, and I think the other thing is like Chris Columbus obviously is known for working for children, so he's probably the, he was the perfect director on paper to direct this movie. Yeah. Just he was done working with children. It just didn't go well. And so- I think they could have got another director. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, just get a different director. But we'll get to that more. But So pretty much, Percy comes out, but because we already know that he's the son of Poseidon, when Grover is like, oh, like you were down there for seven and a half minutes, how do you do it? We're like, well, he's the son of Poseidon. He probably has some magical powers. And can we just talk? They're at their school. I know we saw like a... Now, this is... In the book, it's Yancey Academy, uh, and it's a private school. Uh, boarding school, mind you. Yeah. Uh, very poor boarding school. They're at a public high school in the film. My public high school didn't have a swimming pool. Did yours? Nope. So, my my disposition is already my. Also, correct us if you're wrong. If we're wrong here, because neither of us like grew up in New York. Um, and I spent a little bit of time in New York, but I didn't grow up there, and I never went to school there. But my understanding is that New York is quite strapped for space, let us say. (laughs) I would be hard-pressed. Is there a public high school in New York that has a swimming pool? There might be. I don't know, like I said. But listeners, if anybody knows, 
Give us a shout. Let us know. Let us know what lucky public high school has a swimming pool. So we established the relationship between Grover and Percy. They're best friends. They're best friends. It's great. You know, Grover has crutches, which, you know, we'll explain later. Uh, So, but Brandon T. Jackson, you know, does a pretty good job playing Grover in the first part. He has a line, though, that (laughs) I will say that, like, is ridiculous. And he says, ah, you know, they're walking down Yancey Academy's hallway which i've already explained isn't the yancey academy from the book it's a different one and he says that this is high school musical without the musical and i just go like (laughs) every high school ever okay uh and then we end up going to percy jackson's first class and we kind of montage into it uh and there's mrs dots and she introduces herself as percy jackson's substitute english teacher now i'm gonna let Ankit, take this one away. So, two things on this. One, Percy is not supposed to have Mrs. Dodds as his English teacher because literally the first chapter of the book, the first words after the table of contents, ladies and gentlemen, are, I accidentally vaporized my pre-algebra teacher. Yeah. Which tells me immediately that Chris Titley never... Craig. You know what? I don't even care about his name at this point. (laughs) (laughs) Craig Titley never read the book. He skimmed it. He skimmed it. But I will say this. It was a cool effect of why they made the change. So I'm not like super, super upset that they made this change because what they did, and it was a cool effect in the film, where they showed the letters flipping and changing so you could see how Percy sees the board potentially with his dyslexia. Now, I don't have that. I'm pretty sure you don't. So if anyone with dyslexia knows and like if that is an accurate representation of, you know, I understand that there are different levels of it and some people face it at different you know, intensities and things like that. But if there is anyone out there and, you know, if you have more information on if that's a actual good representation on how it might be perceived, let us know. I thought it was a cool effect, but I don't want to speak for everybody. Yeah, but the film had a perfect opportunity to, to still have Mrs. Dawes as a substitute mouth teacher and show dyslexia in another class that he has in the book with Mr. Brunner, oh, his 100%. Latin teacher. Which we can do, but... I agree. It It's stupid that they changed it, but the effect, I think, is why they changed it, and I don't mind that change as much compared to some of the other gripes that I have with this film. Great. So he goes through a montage of classes, and he still lives at home, which is its own issue. Um, He's supposed to be at a boarding school. Fine, we've dealt with that. But we end up at the museum. So we end up at a museum, which in the book is our first – like we're going on a field trip. That's like our big burst of action in the in the book, and it's really exciting. Percy, of course, is sitting with Grover. They get picked on by this uh, their bully Nancy Boba Fett, uh, Boba Fett, uh, Boba Fett, uh, and I think it's hilarious that her last name reminds me of Boba Fett. <laughs> um, and then, but she's not in the movie, so we move on. Um, so she's not in the movie. They're all in. They're all. In the museum, Pierce Brosnan, James Bond himself, is is Mr. Brunner, our Latin teacher. Uh, I would love to learn from James Bond. Yeah, um, and sounds fun. He's teach. He's basically he asks a question of like, who is this? Who is the statue behind him? And everyone is paying attention, except for Percy Jackson has his headphones in, 
and is not paying attention. Yeah, I have an issue with this. So he's not paying attention, which is just a bold-faced lie. Another thing, Craig didn't read the book because Percy actively says, I hated every class, but Mr. Brunner's Latin class, I liked the most and tried my hardest. Something along those lines. Like, he doesn't say those exact words. But he loves the class. And also, like, the audacity of this boy to be standing in the front row of a field trip with not just one, but both headphones in. Like, and what? And Percy's always been fascinated by Greek mythology. So yeah, like, weird. he's always interested about it, it. It's weird to see him ignore it. You yeah. know what I mean? Just... Completely. But, you know, we can't have a hero in modern day without him being a little rebellious, though, Anke. Um, I'm sorry. Have you read the book? <laughs> he gets kicked out of every single school. I know. <laughs> I know. I'm just making fun of it because it just it gripes me. Um, it's, it's annoying, ladies and gentlemen. It's annoying. So Mrs. Dodd, like, after he answers a question, takes him out of the line to talk to, like, he thinks to reprimand him. Obviously, from a, like an audience perspective, that makes sense. He's had his headphones in the whole time. If I was a substitute teacher, I'd pull him aside too. You know what? Like That part made sense. Because even if it was like a chaperone on a field trip or whatever, because sometimes it wasn't always teachers. It was like parents would come in yeah. and help chaperone because they needed just extra people to help keep track of 30 12-year-olds. Uh, they're supposed to be high school high schools high school field trip i honestly don't remember going on that many field trips in high school do you i in high school because i was involved in the theater program we did this really cool field trip every year where we toured elementary schools mm -hmm. and we'd like do a show for them and that was really cool um there were a couple um i think see like all of my field trips that i remember from high school all had to do with music yeah, that makes sense. I never went on a field trip. To my recollection, I never went on a field trip for like a history class or a Latin class or. I went on a. I went on a. I mean, we went to a play on a field trip, but I think you know that was a theater. Went to a couple of choir events. Yeah, I think it's very interesting because I think like in the whether, you know, when do field trips go away? Because I was in middle school, assistant teaching for mm -hmm. a lot of years, and yeah, we do go on field trips. And they're educational field trips. And it's like, hey, we're going on a field trip to go learn about this thing that we're learning about. Like the planetarium or the, or the, um, uh, where you see f fish, fishes. Yeah. And it's just, it's an interesting thing. And I mean, viewers and listeners, for anyone who hasn't picked up on this, Stephen and I both grew up in the States. So if, you know, things are different in other countries where you might be listening, please let us know. Like, we are interested in learning more about the world yeah. and what it's like. But, yeah, I think it's weird because I honestly think that field trips were the times in elementary and middle school where I probably learned the most. Yeah. And so I'm like, I don't understand, and I don't know where it goes away, but, like, why didn't you kind of continue them? I understand, like, less. But, like, why don't you potentially, like, continue them in high school? Because not everyone can learn sitting behind a desk. And sometimes, like, you need the visual. You need the physical of, like, doing something on a field trip to understand it. I think in high school, field trips are more safe for special interests now. Mm. So, like, you know, I did law and government at one point. So I went on an event to, like, lawyers and, like, learned from them and, like, did stuff like that. So I think, like, in, in reality, in high school, at least in, in, in California – 
that's what it's saved for. Uh, but let's get back to the book. Yeah, anyway, back. back to the book. Yeah. <laughs> Good. We could talk about the educational system, how terrible it is later. But let's get back to the book. Uh, <laughs> uh, on, a, on another note, I'm, I'm, I'm training to be a teacher right now, so I can totally make fun of it. Uh, He's so, going into the system. So, yeah, I want to change the system. He's the problem. I am not the problem. <laughs> Thank you very much. You can go. Um, All right, bye. Bye. <laughs> um, I'll do this by myself. Um, so basically, uh, Mrs. Dodds takes him aside, takes him to this empty exhibit, which, number one, if there's an empty exhibit, you're not even allowed to go in there. Um, yeah. Yeah. If it's under construction, good luck. Um, they get in. Because so, security apparently doesn't exist at this museum. No, not at all. So Mrs. Dodds, you know, she um, she like, she like starts questioning Percy. And then Percy's like, oh, you know, I'm sorry. He turns around. She's disappeared. And she's like on top of a statue thing. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, she transforms into a monster. One of the Furies from, or the Kindly Ones. From Greek from, mythology. From Greek mythology. Um, and uh, then Mr. Brunner rolls in uh, with Grover. Uh, see my pun there? He rolled, he rolled in. <laughs> um, He's in a wheelchair. He, and he goes, he goes, he scares the fate. He scares her away. He scares the Furry away by just his presence. Yep. And then he hands Percy a pen. A pen. And then we get the great line that Percy repeats for, I think, like, I don't know. I've lost track. But, like, five minutes of the film, it feels like, where he's just like, this is a pen. And I'm like, yes, Percy, this is a pen. So the comedy is terrible. Comedy is terrible. Pretty much, Brunner tells Grover to take Percy back. Yeah. So my issue with this scene, other than Percy doesn't get a chance to, like, prove himself in this scene. In the book... Percy gets the gets thrown the the ballpoint pen, uncaps it, reveals Riptide, um, and then kills um, Mrs. Dodds. Kills Mrs. Dodds. Hence, I vaporize my pre-algebra teacher. <laughs> Another reason they didn't read the book. Um, and then he hands Mr. Brunner back the ballpoint pen um, on the steps of the museum, and then Mrs. Dodds is gone. Nobody remembers who Mrs. Dodds in because of the mist. Yeah. And then we spend up a little more time at Yancey Academy. They want to hurry the plot along. I kind of get it. So Percy and Grover go on the run. So uh, Mr. They go on the run to Percy's home. So Percy and Grover together show up at Percy's house. Which isn't how it goes in the book. In the book, Percy gets expelled. So he goes back home. And then Percy's mom is like, you know what? It's okay. Don't worry about it. Because Percy's mom is amazing. Sally. Sally Jackson is arguably one of the best written mothers in fiction. I would agree with that. It tends to be the mothers are better. I mean, okay. I read One Piece and the f- we've just I, – I saw this video the other day about how terrible the fathers are in One Piece. And, like, I couldn't help but agree. And it's really funny that, like, I read this and I'm like, yeah, the mother's just so strong. And most of my fiction is terrible father. Sure. It makes sense. I don't know what, well, I know what One Piece is, but I've never read it or watched it. We'll watch the live action one day. Okay. Anyway, so, and then they go on a trip and that's when Grover catches up to them. What happens in the film is that Grover and Percy show up at the same time. And we see Smelly Gabe. His name is Gabe Ugliano, but Percy calls him Smelly Gabe, and that is the only proper way to name him. So he is yeah. Smelly Gabe. Now, the actor who plays Smelly Gabe. Perfect casting. He is the best in the film. 
I hands down, give this guy an award. He read the book. He knew what he had to do, and he did it. Great job. I'm not sure who you are, but wonderful. wonderful I've only job. seen him in one other film, and that was Baby's Day Out, which is an amazing film, and I love it so much. Was he great in that film, too? Oh, he is hilarious. Great. So we just like this actor. We will learn his name and uh, let you all know. We but... should go watch Baby's Day Out. I have no idea what that is, but it sounds like a baby's having a good time. Uh, baby escapes, goes on the run in New York. And like Sounds sh- like baby's having a good time. Stuff happens. Baby's having a good time. Yeah. So, uh, anyway. she Baby beats up three men. Great. For context, Smelly Gabe <laughs> is a terrible, terrible human being. And, you is know. Percy's stepfather. Percy's stepfather. So... Sally is told by Grover that they need to leave and they need to leave now. And Sally understands what Grover means. Sally knows who Grover is and why Grover is around. Which is not comparable to the book, technically speaking. Technically, she knows kind of of Grover. Um, and she's kind of been in the loop, but like she doesn't fully know. Yeah. Um, like she knows that Grover exists and that Grover is who Grover is, which we'll get to in just a minute. Of course. But like she knows who Grover is, but she doesn't realize that something bad has happened in the book. Now, this scene between Grover and Sally happens later in the book after Percy gets to go on his vacation to Montauk. Yeah, yeah. But in right now again we're hurrying the plot along it's not the worst decision in the world no but i just think it changes a tad it It changes the motivation of percy Mm -hmm. percy wanted to go home and not tell his mom all the crazy thing about mrs dodds because he wanted to go to montauk he really wants to spend vacation with his mom and you get this relationship between sally and percy which to me isn't as established in the movie no it isn't it's really well established in the book you really get a sense of who Sally and Percy are to each other, and it's really lovely. But in the movie, I think that relationship kilters. And we can talk about the problems with that later. Yeah, yeah, we can get more into that. But so pretty much, Gabe... Sorry, I I misspoke. Smelly Gabe... Smelly Gabe. Smelly Gabe is just like, no, you can't go. Like, what about my dinner? And then Grover beats him up with the scratches. Go, Grover. And so they steal his Camaro. They steal his Camaro, and then they leave. <laughs> I never thought I would say this. So Brendan T. Jackson beats up Smelling Game, and then they steal a Camaro and go on the run to Long Island. Wonderful. Now, I'm no genius, but they live in Manhattan. And to get to Long Island, I'm pretty sure you don't have to go over a bridge. I think you do. Okay, you might have to go over a bridge. I don't know how to drive from Manhattan to Long Island. You might have to go over a bridge. But I mean, I just read the chapter in Sea of Monsters where they take the taxi to. Okay, so like, it's may- quite a quite a journey. Okay, so it is a journey, but I'm pretty sure it doesn't take nine hours. I would, unless there was like a lot of traffic. But if there was a lot of traffic, cops would have caught up to them. Because keep in mind, in this universe of the of the. In this universe of the movie, they stole the they've car. They've stolen the Camaro. So Gabe will wake up and call the cops. Yeah, yeah. In the book universe, the Camaro isn't reported stolen until after the Rock. Montauk trip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because Gabe knew where the Camaro was going. So uh, it's a bit movie, interesting. Movie magic. But also, there is a shot and there's no traffic on the road. Yeah, so we so, could assume they left at around three. And the nighttime was around six. So no, maybe... no, 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 no. It's the summer. Oh, so nighttime around so eight or nine. So nighttime's around like eight or nine. And I'm pretty sure it's not 
a six-hour drive from Manhattan to Long Island? Probably not. Again, I do not know. If anyone does know, and it is magically like an eight-hour drive, let me know, but I'm pretty sure it isn't. I know, like, to upstate New York from Manhattan is, like, years, but, like... Yeah, 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 but that's upstate. We're not trying to go to upstate. Yeah, fair. So, uh, <laughs> they drive, and so so they get in the car, and they're going, and then Percy's like, oh, who's my dad? And Sally starts telling him about, you know, who his dad is. Yeah. Of course, we already know, because they ruined that bit of movie, that bit in the first half of the movie. Great. But, like, one thing that I didn't... So, it cuts in the middle of the scene, mind you, to us still on the road, like... Sometime later, as if she stopped telling her story, <laughs> and then it just magically picked up three hours later. Like, three hours of the ride, they just sat like this. Okay, now I will tell you the rest of the story, and the camera will magically catch up to us. Yep. Anyway, so continuing with the plot, that's not how it goes. Obviously, they go on the trip in the book, and then Grover catches up to them, and he's like, yo, we got to go now. And then Sally yeah. gets all upset with Percy, being like, why didn't you tell me anything? And Percy was like, I didn't want to upset you. Yeah, and like Sally in the book, her motivation for not like not – Sally didn't want Percy to go to this place. They're going to They're in this place called Camp Half-Blood. It's not ruined it. I've kind of talked about it a little bit already. Yeah, yeah. But Sally doesn't want Percy to go because once Percy goes to Camp Half-Blood, there's a chance he can never come back. Yeah. And and in the but Sally also does understand the importance of Percy needing to go to the camp, and she knows that the day will inevitably come that he has to go. But there is not. It feels like in the movie that th- that choice isn't there. There's no reflection for Sally. There's no moment for her. There's no like. There's no moment for her to have that like moment of like that thought. I mean, they completely just nicked Sally's character. She didn't really have a character. She just existed in this world. And and you know. Okay, so they're driving along, and all of a sudden, it's Grover from the back seat says, "Sally, look out!" And because uh, Grover has eyes in the back of his head, like every other mother does, and uh, <laughs> she swerves and hits a fence, uh, and they start climbing the hill to Camp Halfblood. Oh, by the way, Grover at this point reveals because he the car has flipped and he's trying to get everybody out. He does take off his pants and reveals that he is a satyr. Now, a satyr. For anyone that is unaware, is half man, half goat. We see them in Greek mythology all the time. If, if you've seen Hercules, Philetetes. Phil is a satyr. If you have seen The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Mr. Thomas. Thomas. There we go. I forgot the name. It's been a while since I've seen the film. Sammy would hate me if I forgot she played Mr. Thomas in, in a production. Cool. I never did that. So... Mr. Thomas is also a satyr. So, like, we see them come up in mythology and different things all the time. But they're pretty much man from waist up, goat from waist down. So. Pretty good explanation. Yeah. Grover is a satyr. And Percy is flabbergasted by this and can only say, like, two words about it. In the book, he discovers that Grover is a satyr in the car. And they have more of a moment about it. Um, he almost almost offends Grover about it as well because he calls you have the legs of a donkey. I yeah, think. yeah. And uh, Grover's like, oh, no, I'm a half goat. So he gets really offended by it. Of course. <laughs> Grover's like, it is not a donkey, it is a goat. Yeah. If you're going to say it, at least be right. Exactly. Um, now, in the book, uh, the Minotaur, which is chasing them, there's a monster called the Minotaur, uh, which is in Greek mythology, uh, defeated by Perseus in Greek mythology, uh, attacks the car, attacks the Camaro. In the car, the Minotaur hits the Camaro first. 
and then that's what causes them to flip. Yeah, in, in the, the film, book, in the book, she's just a terrible driver. In the book, in the movie. Yeah, yeah, no, in the movie, she's a terrible driver, and the Minotaur, I think, throws a cow. Yes. Which, flat out, like, great job by the Minotaur, just like, chucking a cow. But also, what did the poor cow do? Also, isn't he like, isn't the Minotaur like half bull? Yes. So like, he threw his wife. Yes. No. <laughs> just why? I feel like she they was wanted, annoying him. I feel like they. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. We do not condone any type of. We like, don't condone violence. Violence here. in any way, abuse. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> um, but like, you saw so, the opportunity I had. So they have this. So after the car accident, Grover actually gets knocked out. Yeah. And, in the book. In the book, and Percy has to kind of carry Grover to safety to the camp that he's trying to get to Sally's playing uh you know trying to play uh I forget what that's called the diversion she's yeah, di- yeah, she's, she's diverting the the minotaur um and then um but in the in the movie they've decided all three of them will run towards camp half blood they get to the border and then there's the border now in the book the border is just a tree a really beautiful tree but it's a tree on top of a hill but in the movie they decided to make it an archway that has those magical letters again that changes to read out camp half-blood yay because we we're, we're stupid and we can't understand that's what it is i mean yeah so uh no <laughs> um, another gripe with the set design of this of this freaking place um so we're on top of the hill percy is now going to fight the minotaur now the fight itself is fairly okay, other than Grover is supposed to be passed out, um, and Percy's trying to save his mom. Now, but generally the fight happens, and it's fine. He does still kill the Minotaur the same way. Before he kills the Minotaur, though, the Minotaur does grab his mom, and his mom disappears into like this dust and is gone. So that's the same between the book and the film. And then Percy does manage to still get the horn off of the Minotaur and stabs the Minotaur with his own horn. And that's how he kills the Minotaur. And then he passes out. Uh, After, well, he takes the horn and he climbs down the hill and then he passes out. And then he passes out. In the film, he just passes out right after he takes out the Minotaur. That's the only difference. But that's not the worst gripe in the world. Like, I'm sure that someone in the camp would have heard the commotion and come out and like got them. I think also one of the most interesting things is, you know, Percy still has Riptide at this point. I think what was amazing about the Minotaur fight from the book perspective is... He didn't have anything. He didn't have a weapon. Yeah. He defeated the Minotaur with his own gumshoe. The sna- he was used his own strategy. He snapped the horn, used the trees. Like, it was such an incredible battle of wit. He did everything himself, and it was really cool. But he had to use a... He kind of tried to use a sword in the combat, and it just didn't turn out well. Uh, So then we end up in my favorite part of the... Well, my favorite part of the book. Camp Half-Blood. Camp Half-Blood. Camp Half-Blood is amazing, and we cannot do it justice, so read the book. Anyway, so Percy wakes up, and in the film, he is greeted by Grover. In the book, he is greeted by Annabeth. So finally, we get to meet Annabeth. Now, Annabeth, of course, is played by Alexander Daddario, who is a bitch. 
Look, I will say this. For however many gripes that we have with the film, Brandon T. Jackson, Logan Letterman, and Alexandra Daddario did the best they could with what they were given. No, I agree. I just think Alexandra Daddario, very good actress, has gotten way better with time. Um, the I just I really miss a line that's in the book. Uh, <laughs> you drool when you sleep. Yeah, literally, she, that's the first thing she tells Percy, and I think that just really establishes their relationship yeah. so well, so well. And you just you couldn't just you couldn't just keep that one nugget in, right? You like, just had to get rid of that. Technically, you, you got to get, get rid, rid of that, that one too. nugget. It's such a beautiful way that they meet in the book because now Percy's just like, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, so he's so self conscious about himself. So Grover then takes Percy after he's been passed out for apparently a week, takes. Percy and it's like I'm gonna in the show book it's you. like three days I'm gonna show you Camp Half-Blood and so they start walking around um, and the first thing we run into is an archery session Percy walks down range who allowed that also why is the archery down range next to the infirmary oh I think uh, we know that's just bad planning nah. um, also like with this camp and I'll say this now it feels like we had the space of like a high school gymnasium to fill in everything that needed to happen in the camp. Like the camp just feels so cramped in every shot when it's not meant to be. It's supposed to be spaced out. It's a large camp. You have archery. You have the training grounds. You have horse. Sta- you have Pegasus stables. You have the atrium. Atrium. You have all the cabins. You have so many different things. Like the camp is very spread out. There is a book later on. It's not part of any of the main series, but it's a book that came out called Percy Jackson and the Demigod Files, which has like a map and everything. If I'm able to find a picture of like a map of it, I'll leave it. I'll find a way to try to leave a link in an episode description. <laughs> Or we'll toss it up on our Patreon for you all to take a look at if you're interested. Please, yeah. So, the cap is very small and cramped, and that's an issue that I have. And then finally, we see uh, we we see, see Annabeth, Annabeth. and and Grover looks at Annabeth that goes after after Percy asks who she is. He goes, "Ah, oh, she would squish you like a bug." Now. Based on the fight choreography that we see them doing, she oh. would not squish a bug like a bug. So, so Akin and I are well. Akin's an actor. I'm a director. <laughs> we could have a sword pl- combat. Me and him after a day. Not even and a day. You give us thirty minutes and, it would and look two better. swords, and it would look better than what was in that film. The sword combat is just terrible. There's like four guys fighting here all at once. And they went to the uh, Phantom Menace school of fighting bad guys uh, where they have fight one at a time till they all get defeated. Um, that is one of my favorite tropes, though. I don't hate that part, right? I don't mind all of them coming one at a time because that it's also training, right? Yeah. So her training could have very well been, hey, today like you're going to have enemies coming at you from different directions. And so, like, it might have been just, like, hey, like, okay, like, you finish this one, then you have to turn. You have to fight the next guy. Like, that that we can chalk up to training, potentially. But it's not, like, we see that trope all the time. It's a funny trope whenever it happens. But, but yeah. But she was, there were people falling when she wasn't even near them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Like we said, 
give us 30 minutes. And that is solely just so that we're on the same page to where like we don't hurt each other and we can come up with a 30 second fight sequence that is significantly better than what was in that film. I don't know who fight choreographed it, but please take some lessons. Um, <laughs> so basically, and also this is my other issue. This comes back to the 16, 12 year old thing. Percy is not romantically interested in Annabeth in the first in this movie at all. Nope, he's not supposed to be. But you've already now inclined us to think this is where the movie will go because you've made them sixteen. Now we're expecting a romantic interest. Exactly. And I think that we ha- in the books we have time to get the idea of Annabeth and Percy together. Um, Spoiler alert: If you haven't read the books, um, yeah. There we go. That's all we're going to say. You've probably put it together. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> if they end up together, I'm not going to say if they do. But Ooh, They may not. They may not. But like, there's this idea that they could end up together yeah. in the books. But in the movie, you kind of it just spells it out. And again, Grover's comedy in the film is so... Brendan T. Jackson's delivery, it feels like they just wanted to give a bunch of one-liners and be like, be the funny person of color in the film. Be the funny black guy. And I don't know. Maybe they watched a little too much Eddie Murphy when they were trying to do uh, it. Maybe. But I feel like, again, it's it's a very negative trope of Hollywood where they're like, oh, we're going to take the one person, that one character that we're going to make a person of color and make them the comedic character. And I think if it because it falls flat half the time, it just it's not a good look. It isn't. And I will say with Brandon T. Jackson and Grover, and we'll say this now, Grover in the book, especially in the first book, is very scared, very timid, doesn't trust himself, doesn't think that he's any good, all of that. Grover in the film is the most confident human being that I have ever witnessed. <laughs> I don't. I mean, he went after those darters with Aphrodite like it was going out of style. Woo! He anyway, was ready. Uh, so we meet Annabeth, and then we see Mr. Brunner come in, and he is a centaur. Now in the, now they've decided to give him a brown horse back in the in the book. It's in, a white horse back, which like it's fine. That's fine. Uh, Not maybe the, that was a quest from Pierce Brosnan. It could have been a request from Pierce Brosnan. It could have also just been a costume slash CGI thing where they're like, hey, because of the lighting, brown is just going to work significantly better than white. we get it. That's okay. So, uh, and then we end up in the Poseidon cabin. And that's when Percy's like, oh, wait. He, like, doesn't take it in immediately. This cabin is sitting on the edge of the water, which is already wrong. But (laughs) also... Like, Percy has to walk over, pick up a trident, then awkwardly look at the sea and be like, oh, my dad is Poseidon. And I'm like, yeah, Percy is written literally out for you. And then uh, we as an audience get to go, duh. You know, it's that dramatic irony thing. Yeah. And yay. It's just, it's so much better done in the book. So for context, what's going on in the book at this point? Annabeth is showing Percy around camp. She's showing him all the different things. Percy accidentally runs into this person named Clarice, who is part of the Ares cabin. Now, this is important because we do need to get to it. Clarice ain't in the film. I will also say we're missing another key character of the film. Which one? Mr. D is not in the film. Oh, yeah. Mr. D is a Dionysus. He's in the book. And he is sent down as a punishment from Zeus to run Camp Half-Blood 
because he went after Zeus's favorite nymph, and that'll teach him to go after Zeus's favorite nymph. Because Zeus can't be loyal. So Mr. D and Chiron, the activities director, both run Camp Half-Blood together. together. But they decided to get rid of Mr. D. I get it. Maybe they did. Maybe they were afraid of the PG-13 PG PR rating because, you know, he's the god of wine. I will say before, because we are recording this before the first episode of the series comes out. Yeah. The TV show. I am really excited to see Mr. D in the TV show. Me too. It'll be interesting to see like somebody pull off Dionysus. I also think it's just fantastic casting. Oh. I'm blanking on who the actor is, but he is the right casting. Great. I'm excited. I'm, I'm, I'm actually really pumped. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so Mr. D and Clarice, again, two characters, two characters cut out of the cut film. Out. But what happens in the book is that Percy, and this is important for what we're about to get into, and then that'll probably be the end of this episode. We'll probably wrap it up there. But this is very important, is that Percy becomes the Supreme Lord of the Bathroom, which is very important because it is a title and he becomes a lord, and not just a lord, a Supreme Lord. And before he does that, he gets told where he's living. Yeah, which is the... Hermes Cabin. Yeah. So basically, in Cap Half-Blood, if you haven't been placed or claimed by a god... The big three don't have children, by the way. So the big three cabins, Zeus, Poseidon, and Hera. Also, Hades, Hades doesn't, doesn't have, have a cabin. cabin. But those three cabins always remain vacant. They will never have anybody in those cabins. Uh, but basically, uh, it's really funny. Uh, the He has to live in the Hermes cabin, which is too crowded. He lives on the floor. He's going to sleep on the floor. Yeah. Um, he goes to the bathroom in his first cap day, and that's when he becomes the Supreme Lord of the Bathroom. Pretty much, Clarice starts bullying him, and Percy has powers of Poseidon, as we know in this point of the show. He doesn't know in the book that he has the powers, but using his powers, he uses it to control the water from the bathroom, and he makes a fool of Clarice. The whole camp sees it, and Clarice is pissed. So... Not in the film. Not in the film. She's just cut out of the film. She doesn't exist. Like, such a huge missed opportunity. So we kind of skip ahead after we discover that Percy is Poseidon's son in Poseidon's cabin and that Percy's going to live alone. So we skip the whole Hermes cabin tribute. We get to Five. capture the flag. Which, Arkit, do you want to explain the rules of capture the flag? I will, but should we get to, like, how we get to the start of the game? And then I'll explain the rules of Capture the Flag. Sure. So we get, to, we get to the start of the game. So in the book, Capture the Flag is told it's going to happen on Friday. And so Percy has time to train to get ready for Capture the Flag. A little bit. Yeah. Get good. Not get great. Get, get competent to not die. Get okay. <laughs> um, in the movie, he gets thrown into camp. And literally like three seconds later, it's like, it's time for Capture the Flag. Whee! And he's and basically... Mr. Brunner introduces him to the rest of the camp right after the Poseidon scene, mind you, and goes, would anybody like this new camper, the son of Poseidon, on their team? Apparently nobody wants a son of the big three on their team. Because, you know, the, the whole big three thing, no one really explains in this movie why the big three is a problem. Basically, the big three have made this agreement. They have no children because last time they had children, World War II happened. Whoops. So uh, <laughs> that's a lovely explanation of the book. That's literally ripped straight from the second book, by the way. Um, so uh, Luke comes out 
who Percy doesn't know. Luke is the head of the Hermes cabin. Uh, Luke comes out and goes, uh, we'll have him for capture the flag. And now it's Luke, the Hermes cabin versus the, the, her, uh, not the Hermes cabin, the Athena cabin, Athena cabin and the Ares cabin. Now in the book, it's very important that in the book, Athena and Hermes have teamed up against Ares and some others. Yeah. I mean, there are the the other cabins, but, like, those are the three that we need to kind of worry about for the context of the story. It's supposed to be the God of War versus the God of War. Well, God of War and Wisdom versus just the God of War. Yeah. And, like, that's what it's supposed to be in the book. But in the film, they were like, ah, we forgot to introduce Clarice. So, uh, Annabeth will be on the opposite side of Percy. So that We're already supposed to be on the same team. Doesn't work. So then we get to possibly the worst game of I don't even know what it is. It's not capture the flag. It's not capture the flag. We just get a stupid game. So what happens? And this is like my biggest gripe of the film. So thank you, Stephen, for letting me take this one. Yeah, go for it, man. <laughs> I mean, this is going towards the end of our episode. Yeah, for yeah. Part one, but like. Just no capsule flag will end our episode, but please go for it. Okay, so ladies and gentlemen, if you never played capture the flag growing up, this is how it works. It's a very simple concept. You have your playing field. For context, let's just take a soc- uh, football pitch, right? I'm so sorry that I almost called it soccer. My Americanism almost came out. It's football. We'll get murdered. No, uh, yeah, I know. We live in England. <laughs> it's football. So we'll take a football pitch. Most people in the world are familiar with the football pitch, right? So you split it down the middle. On one side, you have your team and their flag. On the other side, you have the second team and their flag. Usually, at least when I was growing up and whenever I played, we had rules of like, okay, the flag has to be visible, first of all. You can't hide the flag in like bushes and stuff because we would play in like parks and we would play in backyards and everything like that. We used to put ours in trees. Yeah. The rule with trees for us was you can definitely put them in trees, but the second rule that we had was the shortest player had to be able to access the flag. Oh, that's just unfair. The reason that they did that, though, and we could still do trees, but because it was because all the short people were just good at climbing trees. Oh, yeah. And, like, I was always one of the short people, but, like, what happened one time, and the reason that that rule kind of got created, was that they put it up somewhere where a short person couldn't jump to catch it, but a tall person could jump to catch it, and there was nothing to be able to, like, climb to be able to get it. So it was just, like, it needed to be accessible for everyone to be able to grab it, right? So those are just some rules that are sometimes thrown in, but they're not mandatory. Pretty much the way that the game works is you go. You run to go try to get the other team's flag. So if you're on team two, you run to try to go get team one's flag. And if you get team one's flag, you have to then bring it back to your side to win the game. That is how Capture the Flag works. Now, if you get tagged, usually it would just be tagged. If you get tagged on the opposite side. So if you're on team two and you get tagged in team one's territory, you get sent to jail and you have to be in jail until someone comes and rescues you out of jail. It's pretty much how that works. So there's an offense and a defensive side of the game. But the key thing to remember, ladies and gentlemen, is that you have to bring the flag back to your side. So let's get to capture the flag and Percy Jackson 
the lightning thief. Not Anne, the. The. <laughs> yeah, so uh, in the film, uh, Luke and Percy are uh, working together on, like, and actually, like, the perimeter. Uh, and Percy's, like, part of the main plan to get the flag. Why? It's his first day. It's his first day. So you're putting the worst camper against experienced campers. Uh, Already assigned for disaster, but so, move on. So Percy and, and Luke get ambushed by the by the sons of Ares, not the daughters of the Ares. The sons of Ares. Which is a problem because it's supposed to be the daughters and sons of Ares because it is very important that there are daughters of Ares who are badass. I mean, I'm Clarice. Like, hello. <laughs> Why are we being sexist? What the book is it? Um... <laughs> Hello. Uh, so they get attacked. Luz gets trapped. Uh, and then Percy ends up running and he walks into a lake or a pond. I guess it's, it's, more it's a pond. like a river pond. It's a, it's a creek. That's the word that we're looking creek. for. It's a creek. Eh, eh. Potato, potato. Uh, <laughs> and then he sees the flag and he's like, ooh, flag. Uh, and then Annabeth comes jumping out of a tree. Yeah, out of nowhere. Out of nowhere. And which, he's like, which I've looked at the cut of that scene. There's no tree near where she landed. <laughs> like, like she would have had to jump like 30 feet. I just want to point out that Alexander Daddario, teach me how to jump. Hey, Alexander Daddario, uh, yeah, um, if you ever hear this, we would love lessons on how to jump 30 feet. So, um, <laughs> really funny. She lands in front of Percy, and then they start having a fight, and other people are starting to watch, and they're like, yeah. And then, and then Grover and Mr. Brunner show up. <laughs> this is, I will say, though, this is a fantastic exchange between Grover and Mr. Brunner. Yeah. Mr. Uh, Grover says, should we stop him? And Mr. Brunner says... No, we're just getting to the good part. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, at least Pierce Brosnan knows how to deliver some really good comedy. Hey. Um, I mean, he he was James Bond for years, so we'll give him some good credit. <laughs> um, I mean, I love him as James Bond. I grew up with him as James Look, Bond. Look, he was great in that Mamma Mia movie. I hate you so much. I am scarred by Mamma Mia. Yeah, fair. Uh... Oh, yeah, you worked at Mamma Mia. Oh, I'm scarred by ABBA at this I'm, point. I'm sorry, buddy. <laughs> I'm sorry. We'll, we'll ignore Mamma Mia for a second. Great, great, great. All right. Uh, uh, so, so they have this fight. She gets cut. She cuts Percy. Everyone's like, yeah. Then Percy hears this ominous voice because apparently in this film, like the... Screw it. Like the seventh and eighth Harry Potter film, like Percy just hears a voice in his head the same way Harry can just see visions in his head because why not? Because we didn't set up anything. So, uh, yeah, because we apparently he can, Poseidon can talk to him through his head, which doesn't happen in the book at all. Poseidon just gives him a sign that he's there. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot more subtle in the book. In the film, they're like, F subtlety. <laughs> um, so we... He gets water, he heals himself, and uh, he basically... He suddenly becomes, like, the greatest swordsman of the camp. Yeah, in, like, one second. Uh, and then he defeats Annabeth, and then other... And the, well, four other people as well. And then he goes up to the flag, and everyone just watches him go up they to the flag. They literally part, like, the Red Sea. To watch him go... Now, now, keep in mind, the game is still active. The other flag is not guarded. Everybody is watching Percy. The other flag is totally free game right now. Oh, yeah. 100%. And Percy picks up the flag. And that's the end of the game. And So Percy wins because he picked up the other team's flag. That's not how capture the flag works. Now, that's it. That's capture the flag in the film. The book one is it's so, so much, much better. better. Okay. So here's what happens in the book. So in the book... 
Athena and Hermes are together. So Annabeth has come up with this great strategy and she's like, okay, Percy, what I need you to do is I need you to go stand over there and guard this section. And Percy's like, why? And she's like, because it's your first day, we don't need you dying. Or like, it's your first week. Like, we don't need you dying. Like, we just need someone to guard that kind of area. Now, I will say that's something that I think was missing in, in Daddario's character was the brilliance of Annabeth. Oh, we don't see the brilliance of Annabeth. Not in the first half. Not where we're at in the film. Not where we're at. Not where we're at. We do see a little bit more a mm. little later. Not a lot, but a little. You yeah. see, you see like a, a, you see like three sprinkles. Great. Let's continue. Then. So, <laughs> in the book, then Percy is ambushed by Clarice and some of her siblings. And this is very important. So Percy's fighting. He's getting beat up. He does use the water to heal himself. All of that does happen. That is still accurate. But he is fighting Clarice and her siblings. And then, right when Percy thinks like, oh no, this is going terrible, Annabeth and Luke run back with the flag, actually playing Capture the flag because Rick, who is a middle school math teacher, understands how a basic game is supposed to work. Now, here's the thing. Clarice is kicking Percy's butt. Oh, yeah. And and Percy, you know, rightfully is getting kicked, is, is being targeted by Clarice because of the Supreme Lord of the Bathroom, which I'll gloriously explained. Um, <laughs> and then... So he, that was part of Annabeth's plan. That's Annabeth, Percy realized that after the game where he's like, he's like, you ah, set me up for bait. You set me up for bait so you could win the game. My favorite part in the book, Annabeth's just like, yes. And, <laughs> and you know what? Fair. Um, <laughs> and that's what Percy says basically in the book. Fair. He's just like, yeah, okay. Uh, then in the book, a hellhound shows up. Well, I was going to say they win the game. Oh, yeah. They, they do win, win the game. game. They win the game. And then a hellhound shows up. And then up. a hellhound shows up. After Percy is kind of won because he does get the water power and he's able to best Clarice with water yeah, yeah, power. Yeah. And the hellhound is running at Percy. Percy's not sure what to do. But Brunner and the Apollo campers all shoot like 50 arrows at it. And they kill the hellhound. And then everyone stops what they're doing. And Percy's just like, wait, I didn't kill the hellhound. Why is everyone staring at me? And it, in that moment... A trident is over Percy's head, and he's been claimed by his father. And that's when everyone's like, oh, no, this isn't good. Because he's a son of the big three. And that means scary things in the book. No one seems to care in the movie. Which, like, it gets to a bigger issue because, of course, there's a the, the lightning bolt, which we know has been stolen, is rumored to be stolen by a god of the big three. And so this is uh, where... Uh, 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 Kid of the a big kid three. of the big three. This is where our problems kind of come in. Um, so, but he gets claimed there, and that is the end of yeah. capture the flag. And that's actually where we're going to end this lovely episode, where the book, the book succeeded at telling the story of capture the flag, and the film did not. Look, I'm just saying the book understood. Hey, this is how a game is supposed to be played. Let's make sure the game is played properly. I don't know. You can claim that that was Capture the Flag in the yeah. film, but it definitely wasn't. It was more like first to touch the flag wins. Like, that felt like the game that they were playing over there. It felt like they were just playing, let's kill each other or try to kill each other with swords, and the first person to touch the flag gets to win. But that's not how it worked. Sorry. It, it, it annoys me. So, 
Thank you so much for joining us. Join <laughs> us next time for part two, where we'll get into the quest, how Percy saves the world, uh, and how Percy and Annabeth and Grover all become the best trio that ever did live. Yeah. Um, and we really appreciate you joining us for our first ever Flip the Scripts. Uh, Ankh and I have been dreaming about this podcast for a long time. It's been a lot of things back and forth trying to get this up, but we're finally here. We're finally doing it. And we're very proud to like, and very happy. Uh, obviously, you know, we're going to try to be more positive in future reviews. But when it comes to a book series we love, it's, it's, it gets It's hard when... Look, we don't want to always just say the adaptation is terrible. Because that's not always the case. Sometimes it's great. And, you know, it's just hard when what we're starting with... Yeah. We decided to start with this one because we also have the TV series coming out. So... We know that some of the episodes are already out. We know that more episodes are going to be coming out when this episode drops. So if you want to hear our thoughts on the series episode by episode, you can head over to our Patreon. We'll have like a little bit up there after each episode, but we'll definitely cover the series after it's all out and everything. But we're going to wait until the whole season is out and we yeah. complete the whole storyline of the first book. Just so you know, we are at the, in the next episode when we finish the book and film. We're going to grade it on a one through ten, yeah. And how well they adapted it, and how well the book. Our uh, we're also going to grade the book because we also have a grading for the book. Yeah, so, we have both. So thank you so much for joining us. Follow us where our podcast is held. Um, follow our YouTube uh, Co-op Forge. Follow our social media Co-op Forge as well. Um, and. Um, Thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much. You can also follow the show itself, which is Flip the Scripts, and all the links for any of the Instagram, Facebook, all of the fun things over there will be in the episode description. So thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you back next week. And until then, we'll see you all later. Yeah, and if one more thing, and if you have anything you'd like to suggest for us to do a future episode, please put that in the comments below. Yeah, or send us a message, an email. Like, we'll, We are more than happy to hear what you guys want to hear us talk about and hopefully have better opinions about <laughs> than a crappy Capture the Flag game. Yeah. Goodbye now. Bye. <laughs>